Amen. Praise the Lord. If you have your Bibles this morning, would you turn to Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6. That's Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6. We're continuing on just in the Sunday morning series, the understanding the work of the Holy Spirit in the last days. Understanding the work of the Holy Spirit in the last days. Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6. Once you're there, if you would, stand with me and then we'll read audibly the Word of God together. Amen. Zechariah 4. And verse 6, once you're there, if you would stand, and then we'll read together. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's read it together. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Amen. You may take your seats. We know the Lord will bless the reading of His Word. Just to remind ourselves, last week when we looked at this in the second part, and we finished off in Revelation chapter 22, if you would turn over just to follow those uh, few statements there that the Lord made in Revelation chapter 22. Uh, Revelation 22 and verse 7, we see, uh, Behold, the Lord said, Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Then down into verse 12 of the same chapter, the Lord said, And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Revelation chapter 22, verse 20, then it says, Surely I come quick. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. And then just back a few verses in the same chapter, verse 17. This is where we finished off last week in the work and understanding the work of the Holy Spirit in the last days. In verse 17, it says that the Spirit, capital S, that's the Holy Spirit, and the bride, that is the church, all those that have the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit and the bride say, come. That in the last days, the Holy Spirit in the hearts of the bride that is the worldwide church of Jesus Christ, universal in the sense that it is all those that have been purchased with the blood of Christ from every tongue, every tribe, and every nation there is a bride. And in the witness of their hearts, when they see the things that they are told of in Matthew 24, 25, the prophecies of the book beginning to fulfill, then there is a witness in the Spirit that the bride begins to cry with the Spirit, Come! And the Lord says, I come, and I will come quickly. And there's a preparation then, that is the word of the Lord this morning that came through very strongly from the, from the word of the Lord from Nikki this morning. But in that, there is a preparation of the bride, the preparation of the bride for the coming of the Lord. The bride is coming, and the bride must make, the bridegroom is coming, and the bride must make herself ready to be ready for the coming of the Lord. I know that's our heart, that's our desire. We see what is happening. Our eyes are open to that. And we thank the Lord for that revelation in our hearts. But there is a preparation as we know that the Lord is coming. And in that preparation, there is a twofold work of the Holy Spirit that will happen, that is happening, that He has always worked in this way. But to be, if, if you like, an intensity of this work in these last days, as the bride is being ready to be caught up to meet the Lord in the earth, individually, corporately, this work rests solely with the Holy Spirit to make that bride ready, to wash her, to anoint her, to clothe her, to bestow the gifts of the Holy Ghost upon her, to anoint her, to fill her with the power of the Holy Spirit. And it is the Holy Spirit that does this work. It is not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord. And the twofold operation of the Spirit are two words that we understand in Scripture is to sanctify the church and to purify the church. I want to just simply ask you this morning, if, if, if you were asked on a personal basis, individually off the stage and out in the hallway or somewhere, that someone says, what does it mean, this word, to sanctify? What does it mean? I wonder how many of you would actually know what the word to sanctify means or to purify. That might be a little bit more easier to understand. But the work of sanctification is a work of the Holy Spirit. 
And the work of purifying is also a work of the Holy Ghost. If you, if you still have your Bibles open there in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 7, just a, a couple of chapters back, Revelation chapter 19 and verse 7, it says these words, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and His wife hath made herself ready. There is a preparation. There is a preparation in the natural. In the natural on our wedding days, there is a preparation for that day. Well, this great marriage supper of the Lamb, there's a preparation. There is a getting ourselves ready for the Lord is coming. The bride, the wife, has to be sanctified. Uh, that simply means, of course, when we're first saved, there is an initial sanctifying work of the Holy Ghost. We're justified by faith. We have received the imputed righteousness of Christ. And then there is a progressive work in our lives to make us more like Jesus. We're being conformed to the image of His own dear Son. So that is, we know that is not only initial, but it's also progressive in the work of God. And that is to bring us more like Christ and to purify us and to purge us and to revive us in the power of the Holy Ghost to make us, you know, someone prayed this, I think it might have been Jeff on Friday night, and I, I was wondering had he seen my notes because he began to pray and I heard him saying, make us fit for purpose. Make us fit for purpose. Make us ready. Make us fit for purpose for the days in which we're living. And in this term, you'll hear it, it's often spoken of when they come to doing uh, budget cuts in the military. They talk about, well, we're making a more fit-for-purpose army. That just simply means of no money and they're going to cut it all back. That's what it means. But it sounds good, but really that's exactly what it means. We're going to make a fit-for-purpose. We'll reduce our soldiers. We'll, we'll, we'll smarten up on our equipment. We'll make a fit-for-purpose for the 21st century. I thank God this morning that the church needs nothing but the cross, the blood, and the book, and the power of the Holy Ghost. That's what makes her fit-for-purpose. For the day and the battle in which we are living in, we are, we are to be made ready for this hour in which we've come to and what an hour it is. So the sanctifying work of the Holy Ghost has always been ongoing throughout every century, but it will intensify. The Lord will bring forth a people or a bride in these days to make her fit for purpose, to make her ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb. So God's going to do a work in our hearts, thank God by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, how does that work, this word sanctify? And again, I was encouraged. It's so encouraging for preachers that when they hear people pray and you've been studying in that particular area and they're praying what you've been looking at, that is the Holy Ghost. But it does encourage the preacher to know, hey, Lord, it's just not me on my own winging it here. Actually, you're speaking. And so if you turn over to Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to look at this word uh, sanctify or sanctification, that great work of the Holy Spirit that is essential to make the bride ready, to prepare us. So Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25, <clears throat> the Lord takes in the natural what He has ordained, that marriage which is between a man and a woman, He takes that which He has ordained to bring forth the, the, the mirror image of what He, the church and Christ, and He says there in verse 25 of Ephesians 5, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it, that He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word. So now we're going to see how sanctification works. We see here that it is a cleansing and it is a washing of water by the Word of God. The Word of God is essential for the function and the progressive work of sanctification. God's precious Word. That's the truth this morning. So when we read the Word, when we take time to study the Word in our personal devotions, when we hear the Word of God, God's speaking to you. He's speaking to me. It's the washing of the Word of God and it's to sanctify our lives. If you turn over to John chapter 17, and verse 16, these great prayers of the Lord. In John chapter 17, he says these words, John 17 and verse 16. 
looking at this subject of sanctifying, John 17 and 16, the Lord said, They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And He prayed, this is to the Father, sanctify them through Thy truth. What is truth? Thy word is truth. We are sanctified by the truth of God's word. That's how we're sanctified. It's the same for us all. It's not the opinion of man. It's not a book that we've picked off the shelf. It is by the word of God and the washing of that word by the Holy Ghost that the truth of God's word then will sanctify the church of Jesus Christ. It's essential that we are in the word of God. It's essential that we are in God's Word, that we're reading the Word of God. It's essential, brothers and sisters, we are hearing this Word often from the government around us about what is essential, but what is essential is the reading, the studying, and the applying of God's Word in our life. Your personal study. We cannot just solely rely on a message from the platform on a Sunday or, or simply try to join a class we must have a personal application of God's Word. We must. We must in these days. I'm pleading and I'm making this very clear to everyone. We have a responsibility ourselves. We cannot just say, well, it's his fault or her fault, or I didn't know, I didn't hear. You have a Bible. And that Bible that we have on our knees has been brought to us. My men paid a price to give us the Word. And we are blessed in the country that we have Bibles. Our shelves are filled with Bibles. Frank, give me a Bible that has 26 translations. It's about this thick. We have the Word of God. We have the book. We are privileged to have the Word. There are many of our believers across this globe that do not have the privilege we have. We have no excuse because we have God's Word. And so we must apply that Word to our lives. We must spend time in the Word of God. Allow the Word of God to wash you. You know, you may not understand it all. Does anyone understand it all? You may not grasp it all. You may not be able to pronounce some of the names. You know, when that big long name comes and then you just say it really fast because you think that's what it sounds like, that's okay. But when you hear the Word of God, when you study the Word of God, that Word of God is washing you. Because you're a spiritual being. It's washing your spirit. Even though you may not contain it, I hear people saying, I'm, I'm very similar to that. I don't have a great ability to retain. I'm, I, I know we're blessed when we hear people that have that gift to retain and have a memory that can just, you know, Nicky's daddy, as you know, he used to just, he you just start him on Hebrews and away he went. He didn't need to open the book. He could just quote chapter after chapter after chapter. It just flowed out of him. But in his latter state of dementia and not being able to recognize anyone, even then when Nikki testified and she opened the book at his bed and began to read the Word of God, his spirit came alive. The tears began to flow because it's more than the physical. Do you understand the part of his Word? And so it's so important that we take time. But Tim, I can't read chapters. I can't retain them. Take a verse. Hold the verse. And meditate on the Word of God. It's a living Word. Meditate on that verse. Take that verse with you. Write it on a piece of card. Meditate on the Word of God. Have it sitting on your dashboard in your car. And you just read that over. And you may not understand it, but the Holy Ghost will take that Word and quicken that Word into your spirit. It comes alive. It's a living Word. It's not a dead book. It's the Bible. It's the Holy Bible. And it's the truth that's going to sanctify us and wash us and make us ready for the married supper. In John 17 and verse 19, the Lord says there, And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through truth. Would you say the word truth? Because truth has fallen on the streets. It has fallen. We're living in a nation of lies. Listen, friends, we're living in a nation that's filled with lies. But there is truth, and this is truth. He will sanctify the church through the truth. The Word of God will sanctify us individually, corporately, but that Word must have an effect. You understand, I, I've heard this often over the years. 
You know, we're blessed with great preachers of the truth. I believe that to be true. Across this nation, there are many great preachers of truth. Thank God for every one of them. We are blessed in this congregation to have men who preach the truth. We're blessed to have Sunday school teachers that preach the truth. We're blessed to have lighthouse club workers that preach the truth. We're blessed to have those in the pillars of Paul and Hassan that preach the truth to the young people. That's a privilege to have the gospel preach the truth. We're blessed. Your pulpit may not be a wooden structure, but it might be the streets down in Belfast preaching the truth of God's Word. We thank God for the truth. But it's not just the truth, it's the condition of the ground. The ground is so important for the truth to have an effect and for fruit to be evident in that life. The ground of where the seed falls. The seed is incorruptible. The Word is true, it is truth, but it's the condition of the ground that often, that often, friends, listen carefully, that when it has no effect, even though truth has been preached, and even though it has been preached under the anointing of the Holy Ghost, there's such a responsibility for the seedbed to be ready and prepared for the seed. And if there's no seedbed, if there's no good ground, we'll preach because we will preach and we're commissioned to preach, but we'll preach that Jesus comes. But what we must see is the ground torn up because there's a hardened ground. If you turn over to Hosea, chapter 12, and you know these verses, but this is so important about the sanctifying work because it only works when the heart and the condition of the ground is right. We might hear truth. We might say amen to truth, but if the heart condition is not right, then the fruit of that word does not have an effect in our lives. We have heard another sermon We think it's great, and we go out, and we're not changed. And so God, the Holy Spirit, is going to do a work. I believe this. That's much deeper than the the surface of saying amen to a message. It's going to go below that into the depths of our hearts to make the bride ready, because the Son deserves a bride. Hosea 10 and verse 12 says, So... To yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground, that hard ground. For it is time to seek the Lord till He come and rain righteousness upon you. You have plowed wickedness. You have reaped iniquity. You have eaten the fruit of lies because thou didst trust in thy way and in the multitude of the mighty men. I want you to, I want to read this again. Sow to yourselves in righteousness. I believe this is a picture of the, of the church in general right across this nation this morning. Reap in mercy. Break up, break up, break up, break up that ground. That hardened ground. Break it up. For it's time to seek the Lord till He come and rain righteousness upon you. You've, you've, You've plowed wickedness. You've reaped iniquity. You've eaten the fruit of lies. You've eaten the fruit of lies. Because thou didst not, because thou didst trust in thy way and in the multitude of the mighty men. We've put our trust in men. We've put our trust in governments. We've put our trust in mighty men. And we've eaten the fruit of lies and it has left us powerless and empty against the powers of darkness and wickedness. And the Lord's saying, now it's time to break up the ground. It's time to break the ground up. No more can we just go along with the lies of men. We are being sowing lies every day, friends. Listen, we are. That's not popular. I'm not trying to anything, but I just see that we're, we're in a nation of lies. Surrounded by liars, men and government in office. We pray for those in office that's right to do that. But friends, they're so in lies. They've brought our nation to its knees. They've crippled it. They've crippled men. They've destroyed families. They've turned husband against wife and wife against daughter and daughter against father and neighbor against neighbor. And they're so in lies and they're so in fear into the community. 
and into the church of Jesus Christ is filled with fear. And God has not given us a spirit of fear. And so it lies. Isaiah the prophet said these words if you go over into Isaiah chapter 30. Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 8. Isaiah 30 and verse 8. Isaiah says, Now go, write it before them in a table, note it in a book, that it may be for a time to come forever and ever, that this is a rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord, which say to the seers, See not, and to the prophets, prophesy not unto us right things, speak unto us smooth things, Prophesy deceits. Don't tell us of the reality of where we are or where we're going. Don't tell us of what's about to happen. Don't tell us about the suddenness that's going to come upon the earth. Don't tell us these things. Just tell us things that seem right to us. Tell us smooth things. A lot of smooth talkers. Tell us smooth things and the prophesy deceits. Tell us all is well. Tell us everything is at peace. We're going to get through all of this. Everything's going to be fine. Friends, if you cannot see the pattern of things that are happening when we go from one calamity, whether it's a financial crisis or a Brexit or, or, or this pandemic, there's more to come. The pandemic is not the end. We're going through this. But there'll be something else at the back end of this. Know this, friends. And then all the time we're being sown. There's lies that are being sown into the hearts of the people. But so many are saying, just tell us the smooth things. When can we get through this? When can I get a holiday? That's what someone said. It doesn't really matter to me. Believers have said to me, I'm not really worried about anything as long as I get a holiday. That's the sum total of where it's come to. That's the church, friends. That's the church. As long as I get my holiday, as long as I get to the sun, I like a holiday, but friends, the reality of all of this. And we believe the lie. Smooth talkers prophesying deceits. Get you out of the way, verse 11 says, turn aside out of the path, cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. Our children will not hear the law of the Lord. They will not listen to the Word of God. They won't listen anymore. They don't want to hear this old way, this old fight. We don't believe that. Why? Because they believe the fruit of lies. It's been sown into them. And they believe the lie. They'd rather believe a lie than the truth. Verse 12 says, Wherefore thus saith the Holy One of Israel, because ye despise this word, and trust, listen to what he says, trust in oppression, and perverseness, and stay thereon. People would rather trust in oppression and perverseness than trust in the Lord. Verse 13 says, Therefore this iniquity shall be unto you as a breach, ready to fall, swelling out in a high wall. Ever seen a wall? An old wall? If you want to see one, it's not going to fall, by the way. But if you just look out there, that wall, there's a swell in it. There's a rubber tire in it as well. Don't be telling the environmental boys, but we needed to fill the gap. And we had to put a tire in it. Trevor did it. It's not climate change. It was Trevor. I know it was Trevor. But listen, it's not going to fall. We just had to fill a gap and fill it up. It looks great. It's not going to fall. But a swell in the wall is a sign. That wall's fine. Don't worry now. Don't panic. But that wall has a swell in it. But that wall and the swell, what it's saying is that it's going to keep on going because there's a pressure. And then one day, who knows the day it'll be... been believing a lie all this time. I've been believing what they've said. I've been believing. I've put my trust in men. I've put my trust in the mighty men. I've put my trust in the experts. I thank God for experts, but friends, my trust is in the Lord Jesus Christ. God is about to bring forth a people. I believe this. I'm actually excited about it. He's about to bring forth a people that are fit for purpose, Jeff that are sanctified by the Holy Ghost, that are an army that are marching through this land. And deliverance deliverance is their song, and there's healing in their hand. 
He's about to do a work, but that work must be done in us. It's coming very close, friends. I know I've said this often, but it's coming very close that casual Christianity, if there is such a thing, but there is because we see it, the days of casual Christianity are over. I want to tell you, friends, they are over. God does not like casualness. Do you know what it is, friends? It's irreverence. It's irreverence. That's what casualness is. And the days of casual Christianity are coming to a rapid end. God's looking soldiers, fit for purpose, a church that will enter into the purpose of what she's been birthed for. Enter into the liberty, enter into the victory, enter into the overcoming life, enter into the glory. And it's freedom that's been purchased for her on the cross of Calvary. And it will not be by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord. That's more than a general or a generating an emotional response to that. But it has to be that God goes deeper into our hearts. A good seedbed. A good seedbed. What is that? What does that look like? How then can the Word have an, a true effect in my life? You know, the Bible says that the humble shall hear thereof and be glad. What is it to be humble? The poor heard him, what does he say, gladly? You know, there's a difference between being poor and being a beggar. To be poor is that you'd have little. To be a beggar is that you have none. You're actually dependent on someone else to sustain you. And the true sign of humility is I need him for everything. Not just that I'm poor, because if we have a little, we can get by. But if we have nothing, and we're beggars, we need him for everything. How many people need him for everything? We're dependent solely on him. We can generate and a response, but it must go deeper. Not only to hear, but to do, or to sanctify the truth into our hearts. If you turn over into John chapter 8, I want to show you a couple of responses to this. Remember, thy word is truth. We're sanctified through truth. And we're washed by the water of his word. But in John chapter 8 and verse 31, Jesus is speaking to Jews who believed. They were believers and they believed in him. Jesus said in verse 31, John chapter 8, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed in him, If ye continue, that word simply means abide, in my word. If you abide in me, if you abide in my word, then you're my disciples indeed. And then what does he say in that wonderful verse that we quote so often? He says in verse 32, and ye shall know the truth. And the truth, what will the truth do? It makes you free. Isn't it good to be free this morning? You know, and all that's going on, and all the stuff, and all the calamity, and all the mess, it's just great to come into the presence of God this morning, sense the wonderful sense of the Lord and the worship, and enjoy His presence around the table and entering into the fullness of God. And just to know we're free this morning. We're free. You abide in the Word, then you're my disciples. This is a, a disciplined one that abides in the, in the Word of the Lord. And you'll know the truth. You shall know. This means so much today, more than ever. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, this word freedom or deliberate, this is not some, some type of happy tree-hugging spirit that's all everywhere, you know, all that stuff. That's not what we're talking about. And that spirit's in the church. You know, I'm just free. I'm, just, I'm so free. I'm just out here on my own floating around. God's got a purpose for us. There's this sort of hippie thing come into the church. You know, man, I'm not part of anything. I'm just out here. That's nonsense. That is nonsense, friends. That's the spirit of the world. God's got an order. God's got an army. God's the captain of this great host. We're marching to a different drumbeat to this world, but we're in the victory. We've got a task. We've got a commission. We've got armor. We're the soldiers of the cross. We're the people of the living God. We're the sons of the living God. We're the ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We're in order. We're marching to His feet. We're going to a mansion. Glory. We've got a song in our hearts. We've got praise. We've got a word for a world that's dying. 
Glory to God. Hallelujah. This is not some free, ernie, ferny, floating around thing. This is a freedom in Christ. This is the liberating power of the God by the blood of Jesus Christ and walking in the Spirit. The victory of God that He puts in our hearts. Know the truth and the truth will make you free. He's speaking to believers. And they said to Him, verse 33, they answered Him and this is what they said. We be Abraham's seed and we're never in bondage to any man. What a response. What are they saying? Hold on a second. We're believers, but we have... Listen, do you not know? We have, we have an amazing tradition. We have... Listen. Listen, we have been here. As someone told me when we first came to Balnehen 16 years ago, they told me their church has been here for 300 years. What do you say? That's good. Praise the Lord. I don't know what to say. The church of Jesus Christ has been here 2,000 years. There's one church. We've got our tradition. We're not, in bond. We're not in bondage. Jesus is saying to them, you'll know the truth. I'm the truth. And the truth's going to make you free. They're saying, but we have our tradition. We've been doing this for hundreds of years. What do you talk? We have never been in bondage to any man. We're free. Jesus said, no, I'm the one that sets you free. It's my word that makes you free. And so it's the freedom in Christ that we have by the Word of God and the Holy Ghost. This is not just some early ferny, tickly feeling or the hair standing in the back of your neck. This is a freedom and overcoming life in Christ. We have our tradition. Oh, friends, I want to tell you, we have tradition. Anyone know we have tradition? We have tradition. It's serious, isn't it? I mean, we are still, listen, if you think about it, if you try and get an outside look at this, right? Just how it looks like. We are still marching the streets over a battle that took place over 300 years ago. That's tradition. Think about it. Think about it. I want to tell you, friend, the only beat I'm marching to is the victory of the cross 2,000 years ago. We've got tradition. We have this. We are not in bondage. No, we are free. You know, I went to a funeral on Friday. I tell you, friend, it broke my heart. I was so blessed. And then sounds strange and hope Andy doesn't. But I was blessed to be at the Thanksgiving service for Jude. The freedom in Christ to celebrate a life that's gone home to be with the Lord. But to go to another funeral and to watch hundreds of men come and stand with their collarettes and all the tradition and all the, all the stuff that all goes with that. And no gospel and everything's lovely, and everything's perfect. It was a beautiful church. They haven't got thin carpet like us. They had big, thick, really warm carpet. I was telling Nick, and she says, don't you be covered. And I said, but it was a lovely carpet. And I says, and see the seats? They had an extra two inches on it. They weren't Pentecostal. You know they're not Pentecostal. You said they're hard seats and scalps and everything else and a thin carpet, but they had the best. It was plush. I mean, it was beautiful. It was something else. I walked and went, wow. And the organist, well, they had an organ. The pipes went the whole way across and he was running. He was moving and moving like this. I was, How is it possible? I thank God for Gillian and our Hammond. Are we Hammond? Praise the Lord. She makes it sing. It's the anointing that makes the difference. It's the liberty of Christ that makes the difference. And friends, people are broken and there's a beautiful, lovely message, but no hope, no cross, no Calvary, no salvation, no heaven, no hell, just everything's lovely, and all the people go along, and the road's lined with all their men and all their tradition. We have our tradition. God help us. God help us. If you abide in my word, if you abide in my word, then you're my disciples indeed. And you'll know the truth. 
and the truth that makes you free. You glad to be free? I mean, are you glad? To be? I'm glad to be free. I was in the same lodge as Stephen Nixon. He knows what that lodge was, and I know what it was. I know what, I mean, listen to it, friends. Calling a man a worshipful master. My God, forgive us. I know what it is to ride the goat and go through all those ceremonies, those devilish practices. I tell you, friends, the man that was in charge of our lodge was, in the, was the head man on the UVF and the Shankill Road. The chaplain was a, was a convicted pedophile. And we're all sitting there and we're for the cause. That's not the cause of Jesus Christ. It's not the faith. It's not the faith. We have our tradition. I know I get in trouble for this. I don't really care. It's the, it's the truth about it. The tradition of man brings us to death. That's why the country is in the state that it's in. We have, we have entangled the gospel with the religious rags of man and it has no effect and no power and no deliverance. But we pride ourselves in preaching the gospel. We need the power of God. Lord, forgive us for what we've made it. We have our tradition. We have our own private interpretation of these things. Well, that's against the Scripture as well. We have our own little thing cooking over in the corner here, our own little thing that we're going to get together. God, help us. God, help us. Jesus said, verse 34, Verily I say unto you, Whoso committeth sin is the servant of sin. The servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. And he says in verse 36, If the son therefore shall make you free, you are going to be free indeed. Be free. Be free from religion. Be free from tradition. Be free from the religious rags of men. Be free. Be free from it. You can be free from it this morning. Makes you vulnerable to have to say, I'm going to step out of this. But step out in faith. Believe God. He has an army that He's risen up. But it will not be with the religious political rags of this nation. It will be the cross and Christ alone. Until we peel all that away, friends. Until we get shot of all of this. Until we, we come to God and say, God, forgive us. We might preach truth, but the seedbed is hardened ground. May God free us from tradition, from death, from the garments of sin. May He free us and renew us and wash us with the Word and take the old garments that are stained by sin and wash us afresh in the Lamb, the blood of the Lamb. Friends, we are not, we are not second-class citizens of the kingdom. The first church was glorified by the power of the Holy Ghost Jesus was seen in her and His power flowed through her. The 21st century church, we are not second class citizens of the church of Jesus Christ. Brother Clendenin used to preach a message on the prodigal church. It was a powerful message. But the church that had gone into the world, that had ate and drank and wasted its substance in the world, but God is calling that prodigal church, I believe it will be a relevant message, back to the Father, back to the abundance of the table, back into that place where He has made us worthy to be the children of the living God, but not just back into that house, but to go out of that house with the gospel. I know a lot of people, not only are we bogged down in tradition, but there's another thing that I believe to be true. I shared it the other night with someone but I believe this to be true. It was in the message that I was going to bring this morning. There are so many people today in the church that don't feel worthy. I want you to hear me again that don't feel worthy. They don't feel worthy to be used. They look at their life. They look at their past. They look at their failures. They look at even their failures as a believer. And they say to themselves, I'm not worthy. And they're in a place where they constantly feel a sense where they cannot be used or they're not, they're not like others in the kingdom. That in some way that they're sort of down the pecking order. That if God was going to 
pick someone that it wouldn't really be me. Ever been in the, you know, okay, two captains, you pick the team and you're sort of standing there going, I hope not last. You know, the wee fat fella at the end, sorry, you're not allowed to say it anymore, but I'm going to say it, but I, I'm slightly overweight. You say, I'm not picked. Let me tell you something, friends. God doesn't work like that. That's not how he works. Unworthy. Struggling with being accepted. Struggling of finding a place. Thinking that, see if I could get up to that bar. And maybe, maybe Jesus could use me. If I made it to there, there's two sides of this. The pendulum swings. There's, we can fall into tradition and legalism. I personally don't believe that we're there. I believe we're way over the other side. Our problem is liberalism today and casualness. Backsliddenness, lethargic, irreverence for God. Then there's this group of people that say, I'm not worthy. My dad, my mum used to sing a wee song. And I think Bran sang it with him a few times as well. The verse says, Unworthy am I of the grace that he gave, worthy to hold his hand, amazed that a king would reach down to a slave. This love I cannot understand. Unworthy, but he made me worthy. You know, it is like that prodigal. That prodigal's been out there. Night in that world. Night in all that muck and all that filth. And then one day, he just awakens. I need to go back. And he comes back. But you know, so many come back. So many come back. I want you to listen to me because I believe the Lord would have me share this. So many come back and feel just like the prodigal. Do you know what? See, Look, I've really, I've really messed up. But you see, if I get back there, I'd just be happy. See, if he just made me like one of the servants, then I'd be okay. Just make me one of your servants, Lord. I, I don't deserve to be a son. Do you know that mentality is rampant in the church today? I don't deserve. Look at me, but look what I've done. Look at the state of my life. Look at my heart. Look at my mind. Look what I've done. Look at the sin I've committed. See if he would take me back. Lord, if you take me back, I'd just be so happy. But just make me like one of your servants. Because I don't deserve to be a son. What the Father do? It's just amazing, isn't it? It's actually wonderful. Lord, I'm not worthy. Listen, what are you doing wearing that old coat? Why have you got that old, the same old? You know what? you got one of those coats, that old coat, that old work coat, that old cleaning coat. They're out in the garden coat. You know that old coat that's lying there filled with all the holes and the dirt and the filth? The pockets are filled with crumbs and muck and dirt. And you put that on. You know, people come into the house of God with that coat on, spiritually. That old coat, I know, but you're not worthy. And they wear the old coat and it goes through the same old rigmarole. And then the old self-pity sets in and then, and then we're away. And the devil has rather large DM boots. I know DM boots are back in again. They've been about a long time. And he starts to trample over you. He presses you down. And the Lord's saying, why are you wearing that old coat? Why are you wearing the old garments? But I'm just happy to be a servant. Somewhere in the back, because you wouldn't want to see me or hear me, because look at the life that I've lived. Do you know, I'm so thankful for the blood of Jesus Christ. And you know what he says? Get that old coat off. Get that old, uh, that old Matlan thing off. Get that old cheap. Anyone else go to Matlan? Praise the Lord for Matlan. Amen. Adrian, you've got an expensive jacket, so I could maybe use your, your jacket this morning. That good jacket. You take that old Matlan one there, Adrian. We'll do a swap. <laughs> Here's my, where'd you get? Matlan, that's a good Matlan one. Praise the Lord. <laughs> See, looks are deceiving, aren't they? And he says, I've got a robe for you. I don't deserve to come to your table. Ah, but you know. And then know what happens then? People think about what other people are thinking. Isn't that dreadful? Isn't it awful? You come into church and you're saying, but they know what I did. They know what I was. Praise the Lord. Listen, God knows what they were. 
Hey, I say God knows what they were. I tell you what, religion's an awful thing. Never forget. Sure, in the other morning, never forget the hole he dug you out of. Or the hole he dug me out of. And there's a lot of people who know he had the things that I was. But I tell you what, friends, thank God for his redeeming love. Amen. And he puts a new garment on. He says, no, you're not just someone. I'm just saying this to the back row. I don't mean it in this way. You're not just someone to sit at the back. I have a place for you at my table. Bring forth, what does he say? The best robe. He's got the best robe. Get that fatted calf kilt. Get that meal in here. Get that music going there. This is my son. He was lost and now he's found. We are going to rejoice. You have a right to rejoice this morning. Because he's made you worthy. Not the church. Not the preacher. He's made you worthy. And because he's made you worthy, you have a right to shout and sing. Don't battle with it, friends. Give it to him. Get the old garments off. He will sanctify the church. He will purify the church. Now, this is important. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2, 1 John 3 and verse 2, if you follow with me, 1 John 3 and verse 2. 1 John 3 and verse 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him. For we shall see him as he is. And every man that doth hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. We have a hope within us. And because we have the hope in us, we purify ourselves. The purifying work of the Holy Spirit. The hope purifies. The hope of God will begin to do a purifying work in our lives. In Malachi chapter 3, if you turn back to it, Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1. Malachi 3 and 1, it says, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. That's John the Baptist. And the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant. He is the mediator of a new covenant. That is Jesus. The messenger, John the Baptist, the mediator of a new covenant. That is Jesus Christ. And it says, In whom you shall delight, behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. Verse 2 brings us to the second coming of the Lord. But who shall abide at the day of his coming? Who is going to stand on his day? Who shall stand when he appears? For he is like refiner's fire and fuller's soap. He shall sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He shall purify the sons of Levi. Now, Levitical priesthood, we are the priesthood of God through this new covenant in Christ. And so there's a purifying of the sons of Levi. God is purifying His church. He is purging out the old that we might be new. He is dealing with that sin that is undergirded and hiding in those secret parts in order to bring forth that bride, not to drive us away, but to bring us forth. That's important. It's never to drive us away. It's always to bring us close. That's the purifying work of the Holy Ghost to purge them as gold and silver that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. This is the work of the Holy Spirit to purify the church of Jesus Christ. He is purifying the sons of Levi, the priesthood of all believers. God is dealing with His people. And how does He refine us? How does he do the refining work by the Holy Spirit? Well, we find it in Luke chapter 3 and verse 16. John said these words, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I'm not worthy to loose, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. The refining work, the purifying work of the Holy Spirit is the fire of God. Our God is a consuming fire. God is looking into the hearts of His people today and He's refining us and preparing us and sanctifying us for the coming of the Lord, for the purpose of God. This is so important that we understand the work of the Holy Spirit in sanctifying and purifying the church. It is with the Holy Ghost and with fire. We need fire in the church. 
We need the fire of God in our lives. We need the fire because the fire eliminates and cleanses the vessel. It makes it ready for what? It makes it ready for the glory. This is important. I'm closing in 10 minutes if you can stay with me, but this is important because what is the sanctifying and the purifying work all about? Yes, to prepare the bride for His coming, but to make the church prepared and fit for purpose for the glory that comes to the latter house. There's an end time glory in the church. This is actually so exciting for us. If this is the last generation, which I believe it is, I might be wrong in that, but I just have a sense that we're in the last generation. There's a shaking that's already happened. Have you seen the shaking that's taken place in the nations of the world? There's not only a shaking, but there's a sifting in the church itself. There actually is a sifting of God, the Holy Spirit. There's the sanctifying work of the Spirit of God, and there is the purifying work of God. What's the purpose of that? It is for the glory in that latter house. That house must be cleansed for the glory. And we need the glory in these days. Look over to 2 Peter 1 and 16. We are going to see, I believe this, we are going to see a dramatic change take place in the church of Jesus Christ, not in the buildings, in the people. She is going to come forth, that remnant bride, and I use that word carefully because that's not to put us up in any pedestal in any way, but that remnant church is being purified and sanctified by the Holy Ghost has anyone seen the shaking that he said in his word will take place yet once more? He has shaken the nations. What we're seeing over the past two years is a sifting of the church. There is a sifting that's taken place in these last two years. There is the sanctifying work of the Holy Ghost. God's doing that. It's a remarkable thing to see God do that. He's bringing people out. He's moving people about. There's, a, there's something happening in the church that hasn't happened. People are coming out of religious systems that they've been in for years and they're being moved by the Holy Ghost into a new place. It's completely new for them. God's actually working in a dramatic and a very important way in these last days. Those that are awakened to the prophetic events and see what is happening are being wakened out of their spirit. They can't stand religion. They can't stand death. They have to move. The cloud's moving and the congregation are rising and we're following the cloud because God's bringing His end to something. Second Peter 1 and 16, Peter says, We have not followed cunningly devised fables. We're not following fantasy and stories. When we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is not a fantasy. This is not a fable. This is the reality of the days in which we're living. He says, but we are eyewitnesses of His majesty. We are eyewitnesses of His majesty. Think of that statement for a moment. Peter said, I am not following fantasy and fables and stories of men. I've been an eyewitness of the majesty of this God. I have seen it. And he's writing to the church and he says, For we, for he received from God the Father glory and honor, and there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. From the excellent glory, there came a voice from the excellent glory. And it said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him in that holy mount. There's a voice that came from the excellent glory, the majesty of God. Peter says, we have seen it. This is not a fantasy. This is not a story by the power and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have seen this. I'm telling you, it's true. That's what Peter's saying. If you go over into Matthew 17, what is he referring to? Of course, he's referring to the Mount of Transfiguration. In Matthew chapter 17 and verse 1, this is the glory of that latter house. Matthew 17 and verse 1. Peter's referring to this moment. He says, After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, bringeth them into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured. That's the word where we get metamorphosis from. And was transfigured. To, that means to transform before them. And his face to shine like the sun. This is the majesty that he's talking about. 
Peter, James, and John are beholding something quite spectacular. Friends, one day we'll see it. One day we'll witness it face to face. This is not a story. This is not a fantasy. One day we sang it this morning, our eyes will be transfixed on Jesus' face. His face will shine like the sun. We'll see him. This is not a story. They think it's a fantasy. They think we're all mad. But friends, we know in our hearts the Spirit of God is witnessing with us. And he says there, before his face did shine as the sun, his raiment was white as the light. Behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias, Elias talking with him. That's one for the soul sleepers. Moses was buried in the Old Testament, and now here he's walking with Jesus in the new. Praise the Lord. Absent from the body, and we're present with the Lord. I'm not lying in some grave, friends. I'm going home to be with Jesus. Lie there if you want. It's nonsense. They've seen Moses. And listen, this is not a fable. This is not a story. This is not some fantasy. Peter's saying, I've seen this. And there's Moses and Elijah. And the Lord, the transfiguration, he glittered like the sun. His body changed the glory. His humanity, it was like the veil of his humanity was pulled back. The curtain was pulled back for a moment. And Peter stood and looked. And John and James, and they seen the majesty of God in Jesus Christ. And the excellent glory spake. What did he say? This is my son, Peter, James, and John. They said, we have a good idea. We always get good ideas when we get revelations, don't we? Don't we get a good idea? But not a God idea. We're going to build three tabernacles. We'll build three churches. One for Moses, one for Jesus, one for Elijah. Let's build three. We'll build our own wee tabernacle. We'll tell everyone we did this. Oh, God, help us. The sun, the voice spake, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. You hear him. Do you know how we know that Peter, James, and John and Peter obviously later writes about it, got it wrong. You say, they got it wrong? They took the revelation. Can I tell you something, friends? God meets with you in the quiet time. And you get a real touch of God and a revelation. And you get that chance to be away on your own. And you're maybe up the field or up the mountain or out the back and away. Can I tell you something, friends? He meets as much with you as he meets with a mummy with two or three kids and the kitchen's in a mess and the kids are sick and somebody's throwing toilet rolls down the top. I'm sorry I'm being real, but God's as much with the wee mummy and through it every day as he is with the man that meets with God. Can you hear me now? It's so important. Because we get revelation and go, oh, I had an amazing revelation there. Thank God for it. But you know what that's about? This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Because what happened is three chapters later, how we know that James and John particularly, obviously, it says in Matthew 20, 20 and 21, it says, Then came the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshipping him, saying, Lord, we're looking something from you. <laughs> well, we've heard that Maybe James, maybe John got a special revelation. <laughs> Lord, would you let them sit on the right hand and the left hand? They got it all wrong. They thought it was all about them. They thought it was all because they got the revelation. And Peter says, well, can they take the cup that I'm going to take? Can they take my cup? Can they be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to have? Can they go through what I'm about to go through? It's not for me. It's for my father to the point where they'll sit. Can you take his cup? Can you take his cup? Can you pay the price? You know, we sing that song, whatever the cost. It's a powerful song. But for there to be a cost, there has to be a price. Something has to be paid. Something has to be paid. You see, the Lord says, I am the Lord. That is my name. And my glory will I give, not give to another, neither my praise to, to graven images. The sanctifying and the purifying work is crucial. 
Because see, if a drop of the glory came, a drop of the glory fell through into this wee tabernacle this morning, and the glory filled the house, just like that upper room. And then the glory began to fill these sanctified vessels, and the glory cloud came down. What would you do? What would you do? We got it. And you don't. We'd be on Facebook. God is going to strip it all away, friends. He's going to strip it all away. He's not interested. He doesn't need Facebook. He doesn't need WhatsApp. He doesn't need our computers. He doesn't need our cameras. He doesn't need anything. He needs none of it. He's looking for the people that are sanctified, that are purified, and their whole desire is, God, it's your glory. The glory cloud, friends, is coming. Haggai 2 says in verse 7, I will shake the nations. The desire of the nations shall come. I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. Silver's mine. The gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of the latter house. The house. What house? What house? Is it the temple in Jerusalem? No. It's the spiritual house of the last days. We are a spiritual habitation of God. The glory of the latter house shall be greater than that of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory's coming. What happens when the glory comes? What happens when the glory fills your soul? Do you know what happens? This is my beloved Son. Hear ye Him. You know what happens? Jesus emanates from the church in all His splendor and all His glory. The church go out in the power of the Holy Ghost. What does that look like? They look at them and they see Jesus. What flows out of them? The, the miraculous, the power, just like that woman touched the hem, the power of God flows from that church. The glory of Christ is in it. People see the church for what the church is supposed to be. This is my beloved son. It's him. That's the glory. And the glory's coming. You excited about the glory? You can get excited about the glory. Make sure, make sure, friends, we all know from the pulpit to the pew, to the back, to the front, to the side, to the left, to the right, to the male, to the female, to the great, to the small. Make sure you know this, friends. The glory he'll give to nobody. My glory I'll give to no one. Isn't not my church? It's not your church. It's his church. It's his church. This is not my doing. It's not your doing. It's his doing. And it's marvelous in our eyes. I want to tell you, friends, what I'm longing for more than anything else. Finished building, praise the Lord. Our backs may be a wee bit easier. Friends, what we need more than anything is the glory. The glory. For that to come, it's a sanctifying and purifying work. God, the Holy Spirit, is doing that. He's doing it now. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. Listen, friend, this morning, don't fall into legalism. It's an awful thing, legalism, as tradition. Don't allow this morning, you go out of here, that's it, I'm going to, you know, I'm getting the list out here is what I'm going to do. Friends, listen carefully to me. Listen, know the heart of God. God will do the work in you. Only God can do it. Number one. Number two, for those that are unworthy this morning or sense they're unworthy, have a battle. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I want to tell you, friends, praise the Lord. He's made you worthy. There's no second-class Christians in this church. Praise the Lord. We're all sons of the living God. But neither do we want to swing in to where most of the church has gone into casual Christianity, liberalism. God does not appreciate casualism. You read it, you'll find it the whole way through this book. 
He always wanted the first. He always wanted the best. You're not going casual. What it breeds, know what it is, friends? It's irreverence. He's a holy God. We're not falling into that either. A false balance is an abomination. That is true. But get that balance right. Allow him to sanctify us, purify us, but let him fill our hearts with the power of the Spirit of God. Why? What happens at that point? Is the glory just for us? So we can just all have a really lovely time. We will have lovely, we do have lovely times in the Lord's presence. That's a good thing. That's important to do that and come together like we do. But you know what that's for? It's for it to go out. There's a tremendous ingathering about to take place. This is understanding the work of the Holy Ghost. But he's about to ingather. He is about to ingather a harvest. You see it in the types and the shadows, but you see it in the Word of God. A gathering in. A gathering in. Because He's coming. Father, this morning we just pray. Lord, that You would just do the work. That's all we confess this morning. We cannot do it of ourselves. Lord, we need You to help us, but we desire to do it, Lord. We desire to do it. Oh, we desire for You to make us the people that you've called us to be for this hour, fit and ready, prepared, sanctified and purified, made holy, but, oh God, filled with the glory of God by the power of your Spirit. Lord, I pray for every person in this room this morning, particularly those that battle, Lord, with not feeling worthy. Oh God, I just thank you this morning that you have made us worthy. Lord, I pray there be a laying aside of the garments that are stained by sin, be washed afresh in the blood of the Lamb. Thank you for your mercy toward us. Thank you for your great love toward us. Thank you, Lord, it's all you this morning. Thank you, Lord, it's not of ourselves. Lest any man should boast, it's all your grace and your mercy. Lord, you've been so faithful to us. But, oh God, may we see your purpose and may we lay ourselves on that altar this morning. Lord, that you would do the work that only you can do. God, you're doing a work and we thank you for it. Lord, make us willing. May there be a good seedbed. We break up the fallow ground of our hearts. May that word find good soil. Bring forth that fruit, Lord. Oh God, may we not just be hearers of your word. Lord, in the name of Jesus, may we apply it. May we know it. Lord, may we walk in it and may that liberty, Lord, liberate your church to be the church you've called it to be.